chapter 17, 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their messages, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as have loved me. Father, I want those have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you know to them and will continue to make you known in order that love you have for me be in them and that I myself may be in them. Father God, we thank you for your presence here with us and we pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts so that we might gain a better understanding of your word for our lives In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as you may have guessed from the children's talk today, we're speaking about unity and being united. But I wonder what the word unity looks like for you. No, it's all right, you don't have to answer. Unity is an amazing thing, especially when you witness it en masse. When, but sometimes when you have large crowds of people at football or rugby matches, it's sometimes difficult to be aware of that sense of unity because one lot's shouting at the other lot who are shouting at them, etc., etc. But sometimes, sometimes you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, and then you can experience unity. A few months ago, I was able to experience that unity. No surprise that it was at Murrayfield, uh, which, for those that don't know, is the home of Scottish rugby, when Scotland were about to take on the All Blacks from New Zealand. 67,000 people had been on their feet to welcome the teams and sing the national anthem. And then we all sat down ready. But then the stadium announcer said, Doddy Weir was going to be presenting the match ball that day. And without instruction, without being told what to do, 67,000 people got onto their feet as one The players from both teams, they went and circled 
Doddy, to show their respect. It didn't matter their differences and their tactics. All of that was to come later. didn't matter which team was best. At that moment in time, in Murrayfield, everybody was united in its support for Doddy. This man who had done so much, not just for Scottish rugby, but to raise awareness of MND, motor neuron disease, while battling the disease himself. It was an extremely powerful moment, one that will live long in the memory, especially because just two weeks later, Doddy died. But we were there, and we experienced that outpouring of love. That was unity. When we think about our reading... Nowhere is the movement towards holiness and unity clearer than in this last section of this prayer. We look at what it means to be united with Christ, aiming, aiming for that model, that, that loving relationship that Jesus had with his own heavenly Father. If we look at the verses on screen again, and you'll see I've highlighted some, there are potentially 10 references to unity. So this must really be an important point. 10 references in just a few verses. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. And then we jump to the end. I have made known to them and will continue to make known, make you known in order that the love you have given, the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. If we break that down, we can see from earlier in chapter 11, Jesus was praying for unity for the disciples then he was praying for unity for the people alongside the disciples who believed at that time. And, and then he prayed for unity for all future believers. And that includes every single one of us and you online. As well as for all believers who will follow. So that's all our future generations, beginning with these ones here who have gone through to their clubs. It's amazing to think that Jesus requested this unity for us and that the foundation of that unity is love. As well as showing the need for unity, this passage also contains three key elements. The first, unity requires a message. And then, unity leads to believers who are 
perfectly loved, though not perfect. I think that probably applies to all of us. And then thirdly, knowing Jesus deeply fosters unity amongst imperfect believers. But before we unpack these, let's recap and look at the setting for the passage. Because the whole of chapter 17 is a prayer. And I hope that you've had time to focus on that the last couple of weeks. We're not sure if it took place within the context of the Last Supper. Theologians are still debating that. But the disciples were there, and they heard every word of this prayer. And that's unusual, because Jesus so often went away. He took himself off to hillsides and wherever to be on his own, to be with his Father. But he needed the disciples to hear so that this would filter down. Jesus is, in effect, giving his final instructions to the disciples, and he does it through prayer. And that actually is a reminder for all of us. How often do we take the important things in our lives, things that we have to make big decisions about, and we just bash on with it ourselves. Jesus is modeling how to do it. We need to pray. We don't carry on in our own strength. And it's, you know, sometimes it's only when the going gets tough that we perhaps think about praying. So let's pray for the big things in life, as well as the small things. It's amazing. God is in every detail. So the culmination of this prayer brings to an end Jesus' ministry before he faced the events of the Passion. So we turn now to our first element. Unity requires a message. Unity, through a message, can bring people to believe in Jesus. The message that the disciples gave and modeled of life in Christ would help to bring others to faith. And the fact that we are all here 2,000 years later show how effective that modeling has been. How effective are we at modeling it to others now? It's not all plain sailing. The way Christians treat one another is like a window to the world. If people on the outside see us disrespecting each other, or more importantly, disrespecting our faith, then they won't want to have anything to do with us. So what kind of message are we sending out if we argue with one another? Yes, we can agree to disagree sometimes, but full-on arguments, no. We are united in Christ. And we want to send out positive messages that will encourage others. As an example, and I did mention this story briefly back in the autumn at the evening service, let me ask you if you can remember who was responsible for either bringing you to faith or encouraging you on your faith journey? Who was that person for you? Some of us may have grown up in the faith and it's been modeled to us by parents and so on. Others may have had a Damascus Road 
type of experience where suddenly the light bulbs all went on and you knew that God is love. But even then, we will all have someone, a parent, a friend, a Sunday school teacher, or someone similar who God has used to help us. I remember Miss Wilson. Miss Wilson, she was a deaconess at the church I went to with my neighbours. So my parents didn't go to church. I was five or six. They took me along to church. They just asked. And maybe that's what we need to do more often as well. Miss Wilson made the Bible come alive. She told stories of what God did in the Old Testament. And then she told us about Jesus in the New Testament. Her enthusiasm when speaking about Jesus was infectious. So much so that I wanted to know more. And that started me on a journey. So my question for you is, who is your Miss Wilson? Whose Christian life, apart from Jesus, obviously, caused you to want to change the way you lived your life and live your life now? Think about that. And if they're still with us, perhaps drop them a note or a text message saying, thinking about you in church today. Remind them that they helped you on your journey. And that question is closely followed by, who are we modeling the Christian life to today? Are we being a Miss Wilson to somebody else? In our families, in our friends, social circles, and so on. And it's an important question because Jesus was also praying for us when he said, I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, the message that we are giving out to others. As we've touched on already, unfortunately, disunity happens. There are challenges facing the church today. And when I say the church, worldwide church, really, but we can bring it down to individual churches. There are challenges in individual churches. There are challenges in each presbytery in Scotland, not helped by the massive changes brought about by the presbytery planning. There are problems within the national church, and I haven't even touched on ecumenical relations. Yes, some things are going well, but there are still challenges. Jesus knew that challenges lay before the disciples. He was just about to go to the cross and there was a danger that things might fall apart with factions forming as we have seen throughout history. But Jesus has more confidence than us. He tried to reassure them and us. And that said, Some messages given out by Christians today can create factions and promote strife. Take, for example, that which is supposed to unite us. Holy Communion, or Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper. I've just been writing an essay about that, so if you want to know more, ask me. Such are the variations in understanding of this important event, which we will celebrate next week. 
It's an important event in Jesus' lifetime that the wide-ranging disunity among the different Christian denominations, we can't all agree. Although things are getting better, you know, we have to be positive and keep praying for that to get better. But this is perhaps one of the places where we do need to build ecumenical bridges in order to keep promoting unity so that others might be drawn to Christ through his message of love. Because we all have one God. This message is not for them alone, but for those who believe in Christ through their message. This message that has been passed on down through countless generations and which we will pass on to future generations too. This passage suggests that the message generates believers. So if the disciples and all who followed demonstrated unity in their faith and their love of Jesus, then others would come to believe too. And that's what we are called to do. Our next point states, unity leads to believers who are perfectly loved, though not perfect. In our unity of believers, none of us is perfect. We all have our flaws, we all have our vulnerabilities, but knowing that we are loved by God equally enables unity. Faith communities are made up of people who believe that they are loved by God, loved warts and all. The more we share openly and honestly about our vulnerabilities, the more we deepen our connection and strengthen the bonds of community. We then become a unity of believers in the love of God. However, it's possible to share community but not make ourselves vulnerable. And that may cause problems and tensions and lead to disunity, at least some dissatisfaction within a community. Let me illustrate that with a a story. Some of you will remember I used to be involved with TCP, the Tollcross Community Pastors. And back in the beginning, when we went out to visit in twos and threes, uh, visit the local shopkeepers, we wanted to find out how they were doing, what we could do for them, And this went on for months, several months, before one of them finally said, Elaine, you know all about us, but we don't know very much about you. Despite the fact that we gather together and have meals every couple of months and so on. That comment really stopped me in my tracks. Because I realized then that we'd been going about it the wrong way. Yes, we wanted to serve, and we were very well-intentioned in that. But if we were going to be community, we had to be all in. So in making some changes, we were able to be more relational and accountable to each other. So that we shared stories of when life was difficult. And through that, you can actually begin to show how God's grace and love is working in your life a little bit easier. On reflecting afterwards, I realize that this is what Jesus wants for us too. Unity can come about if we are relational with God. And then the love which flows out of that relationship 
will have a knock-on effect with the way we live our lives for ourselves and in the eyes of others. If we are united in our faith and live Jesus' lives, then that will have an effect on our society. The love and the goodness we experience in Christ will become noticeable to others and we can share it and it will filter through into our society, sowing seeds for God to nurture. If we can love our neighbors as ourselves, we can practice the grace and forgiveness and acceptance that Jesus taught us. Then we will move towards unity. But remember, believers even are not perfect. But God still loves us with the love of Christ. And that should encourage us to keep going. And the final point, knowing Jesus deeply fosters unity amongst imperfect believers. The person who models unity is Jesus himself. He is our model of love. And one of the main ways we see that is the example of the love he has for a motley, ragtag bunch of individuals who became his disciples. They were zealots, fishermen, a converted tax collector who no one loved. On the fringes of his community, there were also women who provided for his needs. Jesus loved them all into unity. He loved them with patience knowing that they weren't the finished article. I love that. We are not the finished article, but Jesus will love us into unity so that we can be stronger. Can we be a people who know Jesus so deeply that others see him? We will all one day be united But in the here and now, we have to create Christian chaos. Oh no, Christian Christian unity. We actually do Christian chaos quite well ourselves. But, sorry, I lost that real punchline. We have to create Christian unity out of disorder and chaos. We know Jesus by being in a personal relationship with him. And we know that we are loved. And this is at the heart of our ability to create unity with others. Wouldn't it be great to hear the words of the psalmist echoed today? How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Or to reach a place as in Acts 4... All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great powers, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, at work in them all, that there was no needy person among them. What can we do? to show God's love to others. How can we follow through on this? We're not there yet. 
But isn't it comforting to know that Jesus is praying for us? Amen.